Hey everyone, it's Graham, the co-host of this podcast and the co-founder of Clear Admit. So before this episode gets rolling, I wanted to let you know that next week we'll be airing the 300th episode of the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I have no idea how we made it to 300 episodes, but I wanted to ask for a small favor to help us celebrate. So if you have a smartphone, take a moment to use the iPhone voice memos or Samsung voice recorder app and record a short, let's say less than 30 second audio message for Alex and me. Wish us well for our 300th episode and beyond, or share something you like about the show, or just tell us what you like to do while you're listening. Once recorded, click the share or forward button and just email the file to info at clearadmit.com. We'll get it into the hands of our amazing producer engineer, Dennis, and he'll work your clips into the 300th episode. It would mean a lot to Alex and me if you could just take a few minutes of your time to do this. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, July 10th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, good to have you back. I was alone last week. <laughs> no, very good. Um, very good to be back. And tell, how, how, was your, um, how was the conference? Oh, it was fun. You know, I, I had only been to San Diego really briefly, like once before. So I had a nice time in San Diego and... Yeah, just good to see so many schools all in one place. I mean, I know, you know, this is the second year they've done it in person since COVID, but last year there was a lot of trepidation, not not as many schools came. And so this was nice to have everyone kind of back in person. And, you know, there weren't many masks or anything. It was it was just like old times kind of. <laughs> Are they still wearing masks in the U.S.? I mean, in some instances, people are. I think if you're like yeah. immunocompromised or something, but it, you know, for the most part, no. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. but I it, remember yeah, it was good. Year, several years ago, I, I, I've been to GMAT conferences in San Diego on more than one occasion. It's a fantastic. Yeah. Um, host city, no doubt. Yeah, no, and the, the hotel was on the water, so I was able yeah. to, yeah, just nice to see some sights. And, um, but, you know, obviously the conference was dominated by a few different themes, one being the Supreme Court handing down their decision about affirmative action as we were kind of halfway through the conference. So that sent some ripples through, you know, as admissions officers were talking about that. Um, obviously, AI was a big topic, and then the new GMAT exam. And, and I covered some of that last week with the show because I, you know, interviewed as you know, some of the admissions directors that I caught up with at the conference. So it was, it was a really, I mean, it was a, a yeah, a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It was very like f full few days. I mean, mm. it was just, there was a lot going on, a lot of good conversations and yeah, just always nice to connect with schools and, and also just to feel, you know, we've Mike and I, who are out there for representing Clear Admit, you know, we felt a good amount of love from the schools. Like they seem to like our, what we do. And that always is nice to hear. <laughs> Yeah, no, very, very good. And I actually listened to last week's um, episode. I don't listen to every episode, I will admit. Right. <laughs> Why would you? It's yeah. kind of hard, like, when, when you create the content, do you actually sure. read it afterwards? Having written two books, I've never read them since. So, <laughs> right. um, but, um, but I did listen to the episode last week. I thought it was very good. Great to get those four points of view in terms of the new tests, the new test formats and their feedback on, you know, what they think of that process and then secondly how they're going to evaluate them and then the the follow-up question on the use of generative ai in the application process so really good to get those four voices 
in there. I guess what I'm saying is if folks haven't listened to last week's episode, you'll miss me, which is probably a bonus, but but I really (laughs) encourage um, folks to tune in. Very good. Yeah, I will say it was really weird recording the first part, you know, where I'm just sitting in like my hotel room in San Diego, like recording the the podcast. And there's normally I have this, you know, back and forth with you. So it was a little weird. But anyway, Um, let's see. So speaking of, well, actually, let me just mention, we have our event series. It starts this week uh, on Wednesday at noon Eastern. Um, And so we've got our essay insight series where I'm going to sit down with, you know, the different um, MBA programs and and ask their admissions directors all about, um, you know, their essay questions and why they ask them, um, et cetera. So it should be a lot of fun. Definitely something that people should sign up for in advance because I don't think you can just jump on at the last minute. Uh, If I remember correctly, I'm sitting down with Berkeley, Duke, and Georgetown this week at noon Eastern. And then next week, we've got Chicago Booth, Tuck, Wharton, and Darden. I think the week after that is Columbia, Carnegie Mellon, Michigan, UNC, and Yale. And then we have one more that's actually the this series spills into August. And, and that one's going to have Cornell, INSEAD, LBS, and uh, University of Washington Foster. So it should be a lot of fun over the next four weeks. Join us every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash C-A-M-B-A essay. So that'll be fun, Alex. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, literally hundreds of folks have already signed up. So that's as correct. we said in the past, this one webinar series um, is really popular. And I yeah. think it's also a good um, sort of time to, to sort of, you know, verify if they've got new essays coming out. I mean, because right. each year some schools will alter their essays and, and make adjustments. And maybe um, with uh, generative AI emerging on the horizon, as well as the Supreme Court's decision and so on and so forth, maybe yeah. there will be some um, interesting tweaks in essays um, and, and yeah. the use of video this, this season. And, and I will say, schools have been known to reveal um, little tidbits about what they're planning at these events. So yeah. sometimes even unveiling new essays. So definitely tune in. It'll be a lot of fun. I want to go back to something we talked about before, Alex, a Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action, which you also just kind of alluded to a moment ago. Um, what's your take on this? Because I know, you know, schools were... Um, feeling like, wow, this is, you know, going to be a setback for, you know, those who are underrepresented and their path into these top programs and so forth. Yeah. So what, what's your take on all this? I mean, I imagine the, the decision was rolled out during the GMAT conference, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the buzz was pretty dismal, I would imagine. Yeah, no, and people hadn't had a chance to read the full decision, but, it, you know, yeah, the, there was definitely people were yeah, upset about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I've not read the full decision, um, so it's easy for me sort of looking at it from afar saying, well, it's this, that, and the other. But I will I will make that declaration just for the <laughs> sake of the podcast. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, this decision is, is, is going to be um, quite impactful. Um, and as an admissions officer and, and I, you know, as a prior admissions officer, our goal is to bring in a, a, a really diverse class based off of lots of different metrics. Um, and the theory behind that um, is, you know, on the one hand, is, is to that ultimately makes for a better learning environment for everybody involved. Um, and also, you know, there are other reasons why you do it, but that's, that's one of the, the key reasons. Um, so, so you can't you can't discriminate um, on 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 race or whatever the the the, the ruling explicitly states. Um, 
you know, obviously the, the, the fundamental reason for that is to discriminate against minorities in the, in the real world, but it, it sort of manifests in this sort of perverse way in, in admissions where we actually use race to try to elevate folks um, that fall into these underrepresented buckets or whatever, right? Right. Um, and I might be getting my words slightly politically incorrect, but you're sort of getting my idea. Um, but the one paragraph I noted in a couple of the coverages I saw of the Supreme Court decision, and I haven't read the, the official document, um, um, stated that the story behind the, the candidate, the profile, can still be told. Right. So to me... And considered, what, right? Yeah, and considered yeah. In, 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 in admissions decisions. So, so when I read that, I'm like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty cool. It makes the admissions jobs harder because when a candidate can just check a, a box that f puts them into a, an underrepresented bucket then it's easier for the admissions officers to start figuring out how they you know you know figuring out stuff right not that i'd say they they necessarily do that but it does make their life potentially a little bit easier but um now, now it sort of boils down to the fact that we've got to look at candidates in terms of how far they've come, how far they've progressed. Right. Um, and the theory behind this, in my book, and this is sort of my personal take, is underrepresented minorities have tended to have to go further to get to where they are today mm -hmm. than an overrepresented person who maybe had the opportunity to go to Harvard undergrad, straight into Goldman or whatever the top recruiters are out of that, et cetera, et cetera, right? So yeah. if underrepresented minorities are overrepresented in the bootstrapper pool, we call, call it that for now, then that sort of can help mitigate um, the impact of this decision. But right. I think it, it creates two challenges. It creates a, a, a bigger challenge on the part of the underrepresented minority in terms of telling their story and doing it effectively. Yeah. And it creates a bigger challenge on the part of the admissions officer in terms of setting up um, an admissions process that allows them to effectively hear that story. And that might mean, again, altering essays, um, yeah. you know, to, to allow for a, a more um, deeper examination on how far someone has come um, from from the start of their their journey to where they are today, um, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. so yeah, I I think the decision, I mean, effectively, is created change in the process. We're going to have to refigure out and recalibrate because our goal should remain the same, right? So let's see how it all works. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that you're right in pointing out this sort of silver lining of, you know, you can still obviously take into account the candidate's lived experience and yeah. whether they, you know, where they've come from. And so I think that does leave the door open um, to be able to shape your class as you see fit. 
I do think, as you say, we're going to hear from schools that maybe are asking more about this stuff in their essays yeah. or things like that. So we'll have to stay tuned. But yeah, I'm still kind of digesting it all. Um, I ran into one admissions director who was carrying around a printed copy of the full Supreme Court uh, decision and was going to comb through it and you know seek to better understand. So there's a lot of, you know, I think there's it's going to take a little time, but I, I feel like, yeah, this is, um, as you say, creates some new challenges, but hopefully still leaves room for schools to craft you know, classes that are diverse in every sense of that word. So we, we shall see. And candidates applying to an MBA program have a longer story to tell. So, so I yeah, think they have exactly. a little bit more wriggle room in the admissions process than maybe applying to undergrad. Yeah, um, agreed. And so forth. So it, yeah. it's going to be interesting. I can see why it's not well received on the surface, but I, I, I still think we can figure out a, a great way to craft a great class. Yeah that's representative of all the all, all the all the folks that we want to make sure are fairly represented. Yeah, excellent point. Um, so let's um let's dive into some of the we had a couple of kind of housekeeping items and content that I wanted to mention and then we did pick three candidates that we want to talk about this week as we get back into the sort of normal programming for wiretaps. Um, so let's see. Uh, first up, we did an admissions tip on the website about addressing gaps in unemployment. That's a must read. Like if you have a gap in, un, you know, a gap in employment, not a gap in unemployment, sorry. <laughs> um, if you have a gap in employment, definitely check out um, this admission tip because it's really vital to be out front on that kind of thing. Uh, we also caught up with an admissions director. It was uh, Charlotte Russell Green um, over at Cambridge Judge Business School. Um, we've, we've connected with her in the past. She's terrific. And I did want to mention that, um, you know, we kind of ask all these schools when they're doing these Q&As about something that they want everyone to know about their program. And I thought she made a really nice point. She said, the class size is really the sweet spot for us. The roughly 200 students is big enough to create a far-reaching diverse network from the confines of the classroom, but close-knit enough for you to work with and get to know everyone in the cohort and build meaningful relationships with your classmates. The class size also means that you won't get lost in the numbers, you will have an identity in the class, and the faculty and staff will know you. So I thought that was a nice point because it is a smaller program at, at Judge, um, you know, a couple hundred students each year. So that's good to know. That's interesting. You know, I, I, as, you, as you're relaying that, that comment, I'm thinking, all right, that's the top 16 program in the U.S. Yeah, it's a small, yeah, yeah. Because what I mean by that is typically, and there's one or two schools that are exceptions, but the bigger the, bigger the class size, the higher the tier of the program. So Harvard obviously is a large class size. Wharton, Stanford's an outlier, but then yeah. you've got the rest of the M7 are probably sitting about four or five hundred somewhere around there, and then you've got the the segue into the top sixteen. And that's going to be two or three hundred a class size. Yeah, it varies a little bit, but I think you're right. Yeah. There's this interesting correlation with size and the states. Um, yeah, in in Europe, I guess you could argue, you know, NCAD and LBS are probably the biggest two. I yeah, mean, NCAD's yeah. quite large. Yeah, so yeah, yeah so interesting. Yeah. Works the same. Yeah. yeah, so I appreciate um, Charlotte making time to to talk with Lauren on our team and to set up that, you know, we have that whole series. There are many more of those coming, so stay tuned. Um, chances are the school that you are applying to will be covered as we go through those admissions director Q&As. We also did connect with a couple of MBA alums. Uh, we talked with Bren from Emory, uh, class of 20. 
uh, who works at BCG as a project leader. So he's been there a few years now. So he's kind of moved up in the ranks, I guess, to be a project leader. Originally, he's from Decatur, Georgia. Um, and he had a couple of quick um, tidbits of advice for people thinking about going to business school. He said, take advantage of the access to professors that are true experts and want to build relationships with you. It's easy to take for granted, but it's somewhat unique. So that was his first tidbit. And then the second thing he said is, I probably would have spent more time with different firms in the recruiting process. I came into school with just a small list of target companies. But as I've learned more about what different consulting firms do, I think there were more good fits than the companies I focused on. So that's actually really healthy, I think, in the sense that many people come to business school saying, I want to work at McKinsey, Bain, or BCG. I mean, this guy, you know, he ended up at BCG, and I'm sure BCG was probably on his list from the beginning. Um, But what he's saying is there are a lot of other firms out there that he's come into contact with, I guess, in his professional life or, you know, even just over the course of business school that probably would have been good fits, too. So that's nice to hear. Very good. Very good. And then the last one is we have Kenneth, who went to INSEAD, graduated in 21, and works at Meta as a client partner business director. Um, And Kenneth is from Chengdu, China, uh, and before business school had worked in gaming and digital marketing. Um, And he had just a couple of quick tidbits of advice, too. He said, network with as many alumni as you can to understand industry trends and the work of the jobs that you're interested in. So I think that's an excellent point. Um, And he also said, (laughs) I wish someone had told me that I should live in a party house instead of living alone. Ha ha. So I guess at INSEAD, you know, he he opted to <laughs> he opted to get like his own apartment or something. But then he realized that there were a lot of people teaming up and getting <laughs> um, residences that turned into a lot of fun and stuff. So in any event, um, hindsight being twenty twenty, that was his advice. Uh, Alex, I don't have anything else other than that. You know, we're always looking for people to review and rate the podcast. So. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon or wherever you might be listening, please remember to rate the show, write a review if the platform you're listening to allows for that. Um, You can also email us at info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. Anything else, Alex, before we dive into our candidates for this week? Let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate this week has just three schools on the target list, and those schools are Harvard, Stanford, and Wharton. They want to start school in the fall of 24. Uh, This person's been working uh, both as an environmental lawyer and then in climate consulting. Uh, They want to pivot into pure consulting after business school. They have a whopping 770 on the GMAT. Um, but they have a 2.9 GPA, um, so a sub-3 GPA. Um, They have five years of work experience. They indicate that they transitioned from environmental law into climate slash ESG consulting. Um, They work with a sustainability firm right now, and and that, you know, they've done really well, top 10%. They kind of did a skip promotion within a few months of being at their job. They've got great volunteer experience. Um, They do a lot of, like, sort of lead, project lead work for CSR initiatives. Uh, they're part of a global climate fellowship, and they're also taking uh, HBS Core, which is that um, kind of coursework that you can do to prepare for business school, um, and in hopes that that might offset the GPA. So, Alex, will it <laughs> offset the GPA? What do you make of this candidate? I mean, they've got top schools on their list, um, a great GMAT score, seemingly interesting work experience, but a kind of glaring GPA issue. Yeah, I mean, it, the, obviously the GPA is is the big sort of elephant in the room in this profile. So let's just assume their work experience is outstanding. Mm-hmm. It look, you know, they're, they're obviously they're very brief 
a description. It sounds it sounds very good. It's obviously in a field that's super important, so their potential for impact post MBA is is I would say quite very high. So that's always very good. Um, their ECs, their volunteer experience looks really good. Um, they they hit hit the GMAT test out of the ballpark with the seven seventy. So so they're they're wicked smart, right? I mean, you know, you can't get a seven seventy just just through grinding and grit and prep. You've got to be pretty pretty crazy crazy smart to do that. Um, but this two point nine GPA is going to be really troublesome. But I'm going to ask you, Graham, if if, if they've transitioned from environmental law, does that mean they've also got a law degree? I, it must, right? Yeah. So so I assume let's assume they have a law degree. And when they did their law degree, they did, you know, very well, and so on and so forth. That might mitigate the 2.9 to some degree. The 770 GMAT will have to have a high quant score. You can't get a 770 GMAT and have a low Without quant one. score. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I, right. I don't think you can anyway. So yeah, yeah. oftentimes we think of lawyers, maybe their quant score is not going to be um, quite quite so, so, so high. But that's, that clearly doesn't seem to be the case here. So let's look at this. So, so let's assume they've got a law degree. That's going to be helpful. Their 2.9 GPA um, is a result of two issues. One is they had a major accident and missed a semester yeah. um, and, 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 and so forth. So <clears throat> I'm not sure exactly how that compromised their, their GPA other than postponing their graduation or how they, maybe they had to double up to make up for that semester or whatever it was. Um, but but then they're going to need to use the optional essay to explain that. They were also working during yes. their undergrad. Now, if this working during their undergrad was because they needed the work to pay for school, then are we getting into this um, the realm of potentially being a bootstrapper, right? And we, we, you know, we talked about the Supreme Court decision and how that mm-hmm. might impact underrepresented folks. But the idea here is, yeah, maybe this is someone who has come far, had to pay for their undergrad. Maybe they were first generation and so on and so forth. And if that is part of their story, that's, that's going to help also. Um, yeah, I agree. If they chose to work just to earn money so they could go party whilst they're at school, <laughs> then, you know, obviously with, with parents that could have... Then it gets into the realm of where are your priorities and where will your priorities be when you come to our MBA program? So that can actually backfire, right? Right. Obviously. Um, so, so it's a question of, was it a priority issue or was it a necessary issue in terms of the work mm. um, and, and so forth? Um, but, you know, no matter all the context, that 2.9 is, is a real um, potential, um, well, it, it's the weakest part of their profile, right? So yeah. it's going to have the highest scrutiny sitting on top of it. Should they expand their their, their um, list of schools, maybe in the second round, if they're unsuccessful, Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, they need to be, they, they could adjust at that point um, to, to potentially look at other M7 and one or two in the top 16. But, but yeah, is, is that 2.9 GPA, Graham? There's lots of um, um, concern about that, but there are some mitigating circumstances. So, so um, 
Does someone get into Harvard, Stanford or Wharton with the 2.9 GPA? Yeah, every year someone will. So, yeah. I, you know. I mean, so I'm, I'm concerned about this in the sense that I agree with everything you said. Like, they need to write an optional essay, explain the accident, explain, you know, the work to pay for college. It does look like um, they did leave a comment saying it really was to pay for college. So I don't think it was, you know, yeah. for, for fun um, to, to have extra cash or something. So I think... That all makes sense, and I and I, I am I do find their background quite compelling. I do think you know we hadn't talked about it before we came on air, but I do think that if they had really fantastic grades in law school, um, that yeah. could help quite a bit too, right? So I'd want to know how they did there. Um, but you know, my first instinct when I saw this was don't just apply to those three schools. Like I, I actually would argue they might need to cast a wider net from the get go. I don't you know they could wait and see. I mean, it's not like they have a overrepresented profile in terms of the work experience when I mean, they're, you know, they were a lawyer, mm. like, so they're kind of a um, non-traditional candidate. And so maybe they could wait for round yeah. two and, and cast that wider net. But I would encourage them um, to think long and hard about that because while there will be someone who gets into Stanford, Harvard, and Wharton every year with a sub three GPA, they're pretty few and far between. Um, and so yeah. I, I would encourage them to, yeah, think about what, and the other thing is, you know, all they want to do is transition. Um, they say they want to stay in consulting, preferably they want to go to like MBB, um, and have an emphasis in sustainability and stuff. So, I mean, that's doable from a handful of schools. I mean, there's not just those three that could help them go work at an MBB. So I would encourage them to think a little bit more broadly um, because of this GPA issue. But again, they can, you know, take their shot with these three um, and, you know, do what we just said, finish HBS core, share those law school grades if they're presumably really good, um, or bring them to the fore uh, and, and write an yeah. optional essay. So we'll see how yeah. it turns out. But that's my, I agree with you, that's the elephant in the room is that 2.9. Yeah. yeah, no, very good. Wish them best of luck. Yeah, I want to thank them for sharing their profile and yeah, best of luck as they continue on in the process. Uh, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So our second candidate this week has nine schools on the target list. They want to start in the fall of 24, and those schools are um, Boston College, uh, Dartmouth, Duke, IMD, MIT Sloan, NYU, UCLA Anderson, and Vanderbilt. Uh, they are, this is someone who's been a technical writer in kind of software R&D, and they want to pivot over to um, still working in tech, but um, more on the management side. They've got companies like IBM, Medtronic, um, and they, they say other, so there must be some other companies they're interested in that weren't on our list. Uh, they have a GPA from undergrad of a 3.54. They've been working for four years and they currently live in Boston. And they mentioned they haven't taken the GMAT, but they're kind of thinking because they are likely to do well on the verbal, but not so well on the math, they're thinking they're gonna land in that 680 to 700 um, range. Um, they're kind of worried about that. They mentioned they're a white male, um, but that they're also applying for the Ramba Fellowship, which I think is an LG, is that an LGBTQ um, entity? I think it is. Um, and so they also, let's see, as far as their career is concerned, they have been working in, as I said, in kind of software, um, in, in the kind of medical devices, surgical robotics domain. Um, they say they have strong extracurriculars. They're a peer mentor with um, the Adult Congenital Heart Association. They do you know, volunteering every week with that. They're also, um, they're part of a patient advisory board. And so anyway, they have a good kind of profile overall in terms of, you know, I would say both kind of experience and volunteer work, but they're just worried about where they're gonna land with the test. Uh, I know you had a lot of back and forth with them, Alex, when they left this post on the site. 
uh, about school selection and other things. So what do you make of this candidacy? Because it's sort of non-traditional um, and yeah, kind of a lot of different schools on the target list too. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, um, you're right about the Romba Fellowship, by the way. Okay. Um, but, but I enjoyed the, the rationale for putting IMD on their list of target schools. Do you want to yeah. tell the audience so yeah, so I had talked about IMD because I went there for a visit a couple of weeks ago um, to meet with their admissions team and and just to see the program up close. And I was kind of talking about how it's a really nice close knit program on Lake Geneva, the Alps in the background. And so this person <laughs> wrote because you said, oh, you know, you have this one international school on your list. Where did it come from? And they said, oh, you know, I, I I've looked at IMD a few times since I heard about it on the po- podcast. And they said I'm a big skier, so the mention of the proximity to the Alps um, piqued my curiosity. So. <laughs> Um, which is interesting because I do think, I mean, obviously there is that proximity to skiing, but I also really stand by what I said a few weeks ago, which is that it's a nice, small, you know, um, close knit program that, you know, short duration, there, there are a lot of benefits to going to that type of school. So, but yeah, we should talk yeah. about this though, in the context, cause they, you know, they want to work in kind of tech, ideally with a big tech company, maybe on the healthcare side of technology. Um, so yeah, I don't know what, I mean, what do you make of their nuts and bolts stats and, and chances overall to start? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I think this is a really interesting profile. I, I like their work experience um, and, and, and you know, their, their extracurricular stuff. It all, that all sounds very good. Their GPA is, is very solid. You know, it's plus or minus just around the average um, of, of very top schools. Um, um, so, you know, and, you know I, th- I think their goals, everything lines up really well. They're concerned about taking the GMAT. They haven't taken it yet. Right. And they're concerned about the quant side of the GMAT. Um, so presumably they'll, they'll do well on the verbal side. Um, so, yeah, they, they really need to prep as, obviously, as well as they can to do as well as they can in, 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 in the GMAT, give themselves enough time to, to sort of retake if they need to do that. They probably should also factor in doing MBA math or something, you know, HBS core or, or, or GMAX um, version, whose name I still have Business fundamentals, yeah. <laughs> business fundamentals into my sort of um, long-term memory. But, but they probably should just plan to do that anyway, just to show that they're, they're sort of, you know, recognizing an, an area that, that may be um, weaker, so good, good, good yeah. on the self-awareness side. But also it'll prep them, prepare them for when they start what is a pretty intense um, first quarter or whatever mm-hmm. of the program that they start. Um, so I think if, if they do actually do well on the GMAT um, and sort of hit the medians of the schools that they're targeting, everything else looks like it's going to fall into place. Um, their school selection may be a little bit squiffy. Um, you know, maybe they need to start looking a little bit more at the healthcare. Uh, you know, the schools that really stand out on the healthcare side. They've got a couple of programs in there that make a lot of sense in terms of Fuqua. Sloan on the, on the side of the tech side, and I, Vanderbilt. I would think yeah. um, Vanderbilt, yes, but you, you might ask where um, Kellogg is or where Wharton is. I mean, obviously that that might uh, mean that you know they they really got to knock that GMAT out of the ballpark. But there's a lot to like about the profile that would suggest M7 might be a bit of a reach, but not totally out of their mm-hmm. their range. Um, so. Um, yeah, really prep hard for that GMAT. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll ask you one quick question, Graham. Your two GMAT scores went from what to what? 
Oh yeah. Oh boy. Uh, the first time I took it, I think I got a 650, and the second time I took it, I got a 750. So yeah, it's well, definitely yeah. yeah. So lots of prep can shift the needle, despite what people will tell you. Yeah, right? yeah, and I did, um, and I did you, do a lot of prep in between the two. And and you came from an art history background. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that, Graham. But again, you probably weren't weren't. You know, if you if you could choose one side of the GMAT over the other, probably verbal would have been your strength over the quant. Yeah, but. With a 750, <laughs> uh, you obviously did very well on the quant. I should have recorded it, but when I was at the conference, I asked a prominent admissions director what they thought of when they saw a candidate with an art history major as an undergrad, because you always rib me about this. And yeah. um, and they said, well, actually, they like to see humanities backgrounds as long as the person, you know, can has decent GMAT score on the quant or, you know, has taken a few classes in undergrad yeah. that are quant-oriented. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that, that's yeah. it. If you yeah. can show an aptitude for quant... Yeah. then having a very different type of background is it can be really a, a, a benefit, no doubt. Yeah. yeah, so what I would say for this candidate, I think they need to ne maybe narrow the school list a little bit. I mean, I like, I, I think they have a good range of programs, right? I mean, they've got Boston yeah. College, which is arguably more like top 30 or something or even beyond. Yeah. Um, but then they have MIT, which is, you know, sort of top 10, right? So, so they have a range of schools on the list. I think nine is too many. They probably need to narrow it down. I do think looking at kind of tech healthcare, um, which, you know, that's where schools like Vanderbilt, MIT, um, Duke, as you said, they all come to mind. Uh, yeah. I, you know, as to this IMD thing, I think what they would just need to think about is if. In some instances, I find the European schools are a bit more forgiving when it comes to GMAT. They just seem less focused on those test scores as the U.S. as their U.S. counterparts do. Um, that said, they are more focused on academics, and so taking business fundamentals or MBA math or something to show readiness could be smart. Uh, it'd be interesting to know more about their undergraduate background and what, where they might need yeah. to make some address address some things. But you know, overall, I think this they could be competitive at at a subset of these schools. Um, what I was going to say about IMD is just that if they did want to go to Europe, I would look into like, well, what are some of the big tech and healthcare companies, you know, in Switzerland and neighboring countries that maybe they would want to um, settle in for, you know, just a year or two before making their way back to the States, because that might be the most common pathway. Uh, I believe there are a fair number of IMD grads in the States. It's just a question of, you know, it's probably a small but close-knit, you know, network and stuff. So they would need to sort of investigate that. But it could be an interesting opportunity for, you know, these schools in Europe are often looking for Americans. So if they feel like, um, you know, they want to just throw, take a flyer on it, it might be smart. But otherwise, yeah, just narrow that list. There's too many schools on it, I think, for anyone to really apply to. It's just nine schools seems like a lot. Yeah, nine schools seems like a lot. I think more to your point, though, it's quite a, a spread spread out list of schools. Mm -hmm. So it just needs a bit more focus, I think. Yeah, um, agreed. But but yeah, and but yeah, not, certainly don't don't not apply to IMD. I think you've made a couple of compelling reasons why IMD could be an a, you know an attractive sort of um, option. Yeah. So I want to thank them for sharing their post uh, and for listening to, <laughs> to the show regularly. Uh, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So our final candidate this week uh, is an ApplyWire entry that you've chosen, Alex. Um, this candidate has eight schools on their target list, and those schools are Columbia, Harvard, INSEAD, London Business School, MIT, Stanford, 
Wharton, and Yale. They want to start in the fall of 24. They've been working in consumer technology prior to business school, and they want to um, work in tech after business school. And they've got companies like Apple, Facebook, Google, IBM, Microsoft, and Twitter on the target list. They have a GRE score of 324, which they may be retaking to try to boost a bit more. They have a 4.0 GPA, so perfect undergraduate GPA. They also did a master's degree from uh, Tsinghua University um, as a Schwartzman Scholar. Um, and in that degree, they have a 3.8 out of 4. Um, so that's a public policy degree. Um, in any event, so that those are their kind of academics. They've got five years of work experience, and they don't really care where they land after business school in terms of geography. And this is a, uh, a woman. She's 28 years old, she mentioned. And I guess she went to University of Delhi as an undergrad, which makes me think she's, you know, uh, of Indian descent. So it's probably based in India even now, potentially. So, yeah, Alex, I know that you had some back and forth with her, and she shared a lot of details about, you know, outside activities and milestones, et cetera, in her profile here. So what, what do you make of this candidacy? Well, what, where was her master's degree from, Graham? Well, she did this Tsinghua University Schwartzman Scholars Program, which is yeah. a very competitive program um, for, you know, it's basically a program set up by, I think it's Steve Schwartzman. Uh, I feel like he's the guy who set up BlackRock. And yeah, it's a program that helps non-Chinese get to know China and build those kind of um, relationships. And so it's, it's you know, designed for Europeans, Americans, et cetera, to head into China and spend a, a year or so studying. So yeah, it's a very competitive program. And I think it's fully funded too. That's why it's competitive. Yeah, yeah. And even Indians, I guess, given that it's yeah. most likely she's from India. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like what she's done thus far academically, professionally, and personally is really pretty outstanding. So let's just make that assumption that she's done really well. Yes. Um, you know, again, 4.0 GPA, and then she's done this um, Schwartzman scholar, scholar. She's got a 3.8 there. I mean, she's obviously got to just make sure she doesn't come across as being someone that's just simply a degree collector. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about that on several shows. Um, so just making the compelling case for why the MBA now, based on all the other stuff that they've done, how that sort of enables them to continue progressing their, their career, um, and so on and so forth. Um, I think, um, you know, a, a candidate like this sounds like they belong in a top school. Um, it, it seems like they've got top school pedigree in terms of, you know, again, what they've done academically as well as what they've done um, professionally. The GRE is going to be slightly below the uh, median of the schools that they're targeting at 324. I'm a little bit confused because... Um, they then said that they got 155 on the quant and 162 on the verbal. Um, so that doesn't compute to me to a 324. Doesn't it? Um, Wait, uh, but, let's see, 155, yeah. But I might be wrong there, so I apologize if I'm wrong. But the key is <laughs> a 155 quant score is going to be the outlier. That's going to stand out in the minds of admissions. I mean, they're, they're, they're history undergrad, um, I think, and they've written, you know, they're a published author of a collection of poetry and so on and so forth. So they're a bit like you, Graham. They're this sort of history, yeah. whatever. Although they've done some interesting, well, you also did. Actually, you worked in the tech field too, so yeah. there's some similarities in, in your profiles here. But to me, if you're a history major, um, then you've got to have a good quant score. And you're right, by the way, this adds up to 317. I was just looking at it. So yeah. I don't know, maybe they mistyped something, but yeah, yeah. anyway. So, 
So if that quant score is below the 160, that's the key, yeah. um, or, or whatever, then, yeah, getting the GRE taken again, upping that quant score, uh, will, I think, make the types of programs that they're targeting more realistic. And it's kind of, I mean, I hate to say it, because this show seems to to sort of be highlighting, but, you know, our first candidate has one weakness. It's that 2.9 GPA, but that's going to be the most important piece of their profile because that's what the adcom are going to hone in on. In this candidate's case, looks like a really strong profile. They've got one weakness and it's that 155 quant score on the GRE. Our second candidate, nervous about the GMAT. Um, So in theory, that would be their one weakness in what looks like an overall a really interesting, really strong profile. But fundamentally, when you've got a holistic admissions process that examines everything and the interplay between everything, which is what a holistic process should do, then the weakest part of any candidate's profile will be the most important part of that particular candidate's profile. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's the dilemma. Yeah, I think the other thing with this candidate is um, in her notes, she shared just a ton of information. And as I was reading through it, I was getting a little concerned that there could be this kind of you know, jack of all trades, master of none kind of issue, or just too many different things. So I just want to make sure that as she moves into the application process, she becomes very good at concisely kind of summarizing yeah. key points and things. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, overall, there's a lot to like, as you say, yeah. um, here. She just needs to work on, you know, the, the test, like the numbers on it up for me, as you pointed out. And, and so she's going to take it again, it sounds like. But that's the key metric because I feel like everything else kind of falls in line. Great grades, uh, yeah. attended a really interesting graduate program for public policy, good work experience, et cetera. So I think it's going to come down to, yeah, resetting the test to get her numbers in line with what the schools, the schools that she's targeting, but also working to craft her story and keep it um, as you know simple as possible because she's moved around a lot. You know, she had some yeah. roles before grad school and then some roles after. And so, you know, just like <laughs> making sure it doesn't come across as being someone who just bounces all over the place um, kind of thing. So in any event, though, clearly a qualified candidate um, with with a lot to like. So we'll see how she does. I, I do want to thank her for sharing her profile on the site. Yeah, yeah. And I would say good work. I would say really good work experience. I would just qualify that a bit more because it does look like there's a lot of like startup entrepreneurial experience, VC yeah. type experience and so forth. So this is top notch experience. Yeah, agreed. But, but, but it's, yeah, this, this um, GRE, the quant side is, is, is going to be their, their Achilles heel and let's hope they can, um, they, they, they can have one more go at it. Yeah, agreed. Excellent. All right. So Alex, thanks for picking these out. I know we had said we're going to do these like little discussions on key topics going forward, but now we had all these apply wire entries come in. And so we wanted to get through a few of them. We'll see how next week turns out. Um, But we'll be back in one week's time for another episode of Wiretap. So thanks, Alex. And I'll see you then. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.